Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Uh, we're continuing to walk through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, and we're as we wind it down and get closer to Resurrection Sunday, uh, you're going to see more information that Mark shares uh, revolving, involving the impact of why the resurrection is so important and why it's so important that we, the people of God, take the time to share the gospel with folks in our circles of influence. Um, so let me share this because I think it was a couple of weeks ago I shared a video, not here, but online, uh, explaining why Christians believe the Bible, right? Why we take it to heart, why we believe every word is true. And uh, it's because every historical prophecy in the Bible has been fulfilled with 100% accuracy. So if, if this is where we are on the timeline of history, everything before that, that the Bible said would happen, that was predicted hundreds and in some case thousands of years before, has come true. So we kind of believe that all the things that the Bible says about the future will come true. Because here's some of the things it predicted were the rise and fall of nations, right? So the Bible listed, hey, there's a, a nation that's going to come uh, in some cases a hundred years, some cases thousands of years. It's going to rise up, some of them by name, some of them not by name, but by geometry. And it happened. It said, hey, here are some nations that are going to fall, some nations that exist, and they're going to end. And it did happen. Uh, it also predicted, here are some kings that are going to come to power, right? Some political figures, some of them hundreds of years beforehand by name, and then said, hey, they're going to do these things. It's not like it said, hey, in the future, there's going to be a pope named John, right? If some of us were to make that prediction, it's probably going to happen. But it gave specifics about names that were not normal and kingdoms that they would rule and what those kingdoms would do. So it's kind of hard to say, well, that's not true, right? So not only did it talk about the rise and fall of nations and predict the rise of some kings, it said, here are some nations that are going to conquer other nations. So it said, here are some nations that do not exist in, in, at the time that this was written. They're going to go conquer other nations that don't exist at the time that this was written. And those of us who sit on this side of history, we look back and say, check, yeah, that exactly happened. And it gave a lot of information about the specifics about how some nations would fall. Now, that's kind of hard to do. It's one thing to say... Uh, this nation's going to fall because some other nation is going to come and overtake it. It's another thing to say that this nation is going to fall. Here's how the gates are going to be breached. Here's where there's going to be a fire. And here's the, the, the number of people or neighborhoods or whatever that it's going to impact. And in a couple of weeks, um, after we get through Mark, we're going to spend some time on another book. Uh, and then we're going to, I think it'll be towards the latter part of the spring, go through what's called the Book of Nahum which is an Old Testament book from an Old Testament prophet, where he specifically talks about certain nations that were going to fall. He predicts it and predicts how it was going to happen. And then we're going to talk about the historical accuracy of it because there are historians that were not Christians that looked and said, 
that happened, that happened, that happened, and that happened. So check, 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 right? So uh, that's going to be a crucial part of, of, of what we talk about. But it's, it's all of these things that the Bible predicts that allows us to look at the other things that the Bible predicts and put our faith in their trust in them uh, to be true, right? Because uh, we can believe all the things that the Bible predicts for our future because we can look at all the things that the Bible predicted in our past and see that it was 100% accurate, right? Now, people still look at us, even though we have historical evidence to say, yeah, this is why I believe it. Crazy as it may sound, this is why I believe it. They still look at us and say, you're crazy, you're ridiculous, I see no reason for you to put your faith and trust in this book. And, and let me give you an example of, of why we should. So let's say that um, Melissa's not here, uh, Bill's not here, so let's talk about them. Uh, so let's say Melissa, you know, spring cleaning time, right? So she goes up to an attic. I don't even know if they have an attic. Goes into the basement. I think they do have a basement. Goes into the basement, says, spring cleaning time. We got to start doing some cleaning. So they find, you know, she finds this bin in her basement full of stuff that she knows there's stuff in it. It's been moved with her from house to house, her family passed down, whatever. But she decides, you know what? I'm finally going to go through and unpack this thing. And so she starts digging through it and she finds, yeah, clothes. And uh, yeah, throw those away. Um, toys and all that kind of stuff, Easter basket, because Easter is coming. Don't hate on Easter if you're not into that. But in this thing, she finds some letters that she has never looked at before. So she pulls one of the letters out and starts reading it, but it's in a language, kind of like weird language that she doesn't understand. So they take it to historical society or whatever. Uh, they can see that it's dated. This is 2023. So let's say it's dated 1823 right? So they take it somewhere and they have it authenticated that yes, the paper, 1823, the type of ink, I don't know if they used ink, whatever they used, 1823. So it's valid. And she takes it to someone and says, can you translate this and tell us what it says? And so Bill and Melissa sit there while the translator reads it to them. What they find in this letter is amazing to them because in the letter it says, hey, It's about Melissa, let's say. It's about her family. It talks about where she's going to live, in what city. Remember, this is 200 years before. Talks about the name of the man she's going to marry. It talks about how she's going to struggle to name her child, which she can tell you that story herself. And it gives a lot of details about her life. And even her wedding day, it describes it in alarming detail with not normal things. Like it describes a relative who wasn't invited, who came and did a funny thing or whatever. And her and Bill are like, that happened. Now, that doesn't mean that this letter is from God, right? Even though at the end of the letter, it says, we know this because this is what the Lord says or thus saith the Lord. Doesn't mean it from God. It could mean that, you know, JT, uh, pranked them, right? Had something doctored up, made up, and it does, someone who knew something about them kind of is somehow trying to confuse them or prank them. Doesn't mean it's from God. But let's say she looks at the rest of the letters and there's like 65 other letters all in this box 
all dating not 200 years before, some 2,000, some 4,000 years before, and they're all describing the same events. And some are from this part of the world, some are from that part of the world, they're all from different authors, some of them are in different languages, languages that didn't exist before. Then each and every one of them says, we know these events are going to happen because thus saith the Lord, it's from God. It's kind of hard to deny maybe God did this, right? If they look and they see that there's 66 different letters, all detailing events in their life, all some predicted thousands of years before, some predicted hundreds of years before, and all saying we know this because God did it, it would be very logical to determine probably God did it, right? That's what makes sense. It would be illogical to say that's not God, God doesn't exist. When you have physical, historical, accurate evidence that says God exists. Now, what would also be logical is for them to look at these letters and say, hey, you know what? There's also stuff in here about our future, things that haven't happened in their life yet. It would be logical for them to say, we believe that because all these other predictions they made Hundreds of predictions about our life came true with alarming accuracy, right? That's what the whole discussion about the end times is about. It's about looking at things that God says are going to happen in the future, but what a lot of people do is say, oh, well, that's kind of miraculous, that's kind of crazy, that doesn't make sense, so I don't believe that to be true. But we can trust and believe in the end time events, and we believe those will come true, Because 100%, not just 10%, not 75%, 85% would be astounding. 100% of the historical prophecies came true. So uh, we're going to look at some of those now that Mark records that Jesus made about the end times. So if you have a Bible, uh, turn to the book of Mark, chapter 13. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be one on the chair somewhere around you, front left. And the, the, truth, the truth is we could spend on, and, on each one of these things, each one of these uh, things regarding the end times that, that Mark records that Jesus talks about, we could spend one Sunday on each one of these. Some of them we could spend a couple of Sundays on. So I'm just going to highlight a few. We're not going to go through every single one in detail uh, just because time won't allow it. So I'm just going to highlight a few. So in Mark chapter 13, starting in verse 1, it says this. As he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Now, we need to understand, this was not everyone, a crowd that gathered to hear him teach. This was just him and his disciples, right? They were in the temple. One of the disciples points this out to him. Verse 2, Jesus said, Do you see these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another everyone will be thrown down. Now, there was some spiritual significance to that because in that day, the temple was the center of worship and their religion and their culture. And that had to be torn down so that, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Jesus could become the cornerstone and the center of worship and our culture. Right? Now, verse 3 says this, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple... 
Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately. And again, now it's not even just all of his disciples. It's just four of them. He's sitting on the uh, uh, Mount of Olives, and Peter, James, John, and Andrew, they come, they ask him privately, tell us when all these things, when will all these things happen, and what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Now, Mark records, there's two specific questions. When are these things going to happen? You said these buildings are going to be torn down. And what will be the sign so we know when these are going to be fulfilled? Now, Jesus gives an answer that talks about, here's the signs of the destruction of the temple, but also the signs of the destruction of Jerusalem. And he also includes, here's going to be some signs about my return. Not just the end of Jerusalem, not just the end of the temple, but about the, his return, because remember, he's approaching the resurrection, and he's preparing them and all of humanity uh, for that. So go to verse 7, and this is what it says. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end, again, he's talking about the end of, of what we call the apocalypse or end time events, is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines, and these are the beginning of birth planes. Now, uh, it's important to note, he says the first sign is there going to be an increase in wars and natural disasters. Now, some people look at this information and say that, well, this was only describing when Jerusalem would be destroyed, which happened in 70 A.D., They look at this and say everything that he's about to tell them only applies and leads up to the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. That can't be true because that would mean then Jesus lied because there was no increase in wars and natural disasters between the time that Jesus said this in 33 AD and the time the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. There wasn't a supernatural or, 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 or super increase in wars. There wasn't in, in that 40-year period a sudden increase in natural disasters and earthquakes. I think there was like two, and their records weren't that accurate. They didn't have like, you know, the weather channel keeping track. So uh, this doesn't apply, but you're going to see that a lot of that doesn't apply. Go down to verse 9. He says, you must be on your guard. Now this is specific to his disciples. You will be handed over to the local councils, flogged in the synagogues on account of me, and you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the second sign is he says, all of the apostles are going to suffer persecution. This doesn't mean, there's no other verse that applies that he says, where we are going to have to do this, where we're going to be flogged in synagogues, right? There are people that are leaving churches, There are people that are getting persecuted and not allowed to join churches, but they're not being dragged into the churches and flogged. This applied to the apostles because every single one of them experienced this, right? Every single one. Verse 10 uh, says this, and the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Now, this is important, right? He says the next sign is going to be the global spread of the gospel. Again, we know this can't be what he's talking about in 70 AD because the gospel didn't even spread out past Jerusalem. 
It was contained within there, barely going out, uh, if you read through the book of Acts, to the surrounding nations. It didn't reach all the nations, right? But here's the thing. He makes this, he says, it has to go to every single nation on the planet because the gospel is going to be the standard by which every single nation is judged. So in the book of Matthew, uh, it says this, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep on his right. Those are the people who follow him and agree with him and have accepted the gospel. The goats on the left, those are the people who said they did but didn't and he's going to judge them. And the people that didn't, he's going to say, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you didn't do for me. But then they're going to go away to eternal punishment. But the righteous are going to go away to eternal life. So he's going to use the gospel as a standard to judge people and to judge the nations. Drop down to verse 12. And then he says, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now, this is a progressive one because it's about the breakdown of the family unit. And we see that today, right? But what we don't see, not on a large scale, are sons turning in their fathers and and children turning in their parents. And this is what's going to happen In the end times, things are going to get so bad, there's going to be like a martial law, and then families will betray one another, some who want to comply with it, and some who don't. Uh, And in verse 14, it says this, When you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Now this again, uh, I'm, 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 I'm sorry to keep digging into this, but this is again, why we know this wasn't in 70 AD. Because Jesus is prophesying that this will be a written document that many of the people will have read. And we know the book of Mark wasn't written until about 60 to 65 AD. They didn't have Amazon books, right? They didn't have libraries. So it wasn't as widely dispersed. So all the readers would not have read it. He said, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house, go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. And here's why. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. And he says, if the Lord had not cut short those days, No one would survive, but for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. So this is, this is, go in the two. Uh, He says the fifth sign is going to be the abomination that causes desolation, right? And for those who aren't familiar with it, we talked about this in the book of Daniel, uh, when we went through the book of Daniel. Uh, In Daniel chapter 12, it says, from the time that the continual burnt offering is taken away, And the abomination that makes desolate is set up. There shall be 1,290 days. There's going to be this time where there is going to be a declaration that the offering that's offered in the temple can no longer take place. 
He says, from that time, there is going to be, this is what Jesus says, from that time, it is going to be so harsh and so dreadful, and it's going to be one of the worst times in human history. Now, for those who don't want to do the math, uh, the Babylonian calendar was 30 days, so 1,290 days works out to three and a half years. So after there is this declaration that, hey, they can no longer worship in the temple, there's going to be three and a half years of like unparalleled harsh tribulation. Now we know this didn't happen when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. That took four months, not three and a half years, right? But this is what he says in Mark chapter 13, verse 20 that we just read. This is the amplified version. Unless the Lord had shortened those days, No human being would be saved or rescued, but for the sake of the elect, his chosen ones, those whom he picked out for himself, he shortened the days. So that three and a half year period is going to be unprecedented tribulation, which is the word that uh, some other of the gospels use. They call it not, uh, they call it unparalleled tribulation. That's going to be, and this is what Jesus says, that time is going to be so bad that there will be nothing like it from the creation of the world and nothing like it after it. It will be so bad that if Jesus did not come back and intercede, humanity would cease to exist. We would destroy ourselves. Now, we know when, when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, there were, uh, I, I can't remember the exact number, hundreds of thousands to maybe a few million, maybe tens of millions, I don't remember the exact number, of Jews who were killed. We know in World War II, there were millions of Jews who were killed. We know in wars that are going on today, if you calculate the number of wars, there have been millions and millions and millions, hundreds and hundreds of millions of people killed. Just in the three and a half years of the Great Tribulation, according to the Bible, depends on what the population is then, but it says about a quarter, almost a third, of the human population on the planet at that time will be killed. Unprecedented. And the only way it's going to stop is because Jesus Christ returns. All right, verse 21 says this. At that time, meaning at that time, in, during, during all this going on, end times, great tribulation, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it, for false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, if that were possible. So be on your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. So uh, he, he includes all of these things, all of these signs that we are supposed to look for. And he says that there are so many signs uh, that we should be looking for, but we should also be on our guard. So just, just again, we're not in the end times yet, but we're close. Because he says, when you see these things, know that the end times are coming. Know that they're near. Um, so the increase in the false teachers is the last one. But he says, in the same way, when you see all these things happening, know that the time is near right at the door. So we're close. We're, and people say, well, people have been predicting these end time things since the Bible was written. That's true. Because it's a prediction that has, was made throughout the Bible. But just because it hasn't happened yet 
doesn't mean it's not going to occur, especially when we can look at the signs and see that we are close. And Jesus makes this, this uh, verse 30, he makes a statement. He says, I tell you that this people will not pass away before all these things happen. This is the complete Jewish Bible version. Because in many versions, it says that this generation will not pass away. We talked about that before, that people look at a generation as an age, from this age to this age, the millennials, Generation Z, Generation X, Generation Y, whatever. And those people in that generation in Jesus' day, they did pass away their God. But what he's saying and the way that the Jewish people would have understood what he said based on the language is I tell you that this people will not pass away. And the people that he's referring to are the Jewish people. Because that's who he was talking to, his disciples. That's what he was telling them about, number one, yes, the destruction of the temple, but also what they can look forward to in the end times. And he says that they're not going to pass away before all this happens. But he also said that we, all of us, are supposed to be on guard and on our watch. Verse 35, he said, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back. Whether it's in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn, if he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone is to watch. We are supposed to be watchful. We are supposed to be alert. Now, when he says watch, it doesn't mean we're supposed to be standing outside with binoculars looking into the sky and like, I, I see Jesus, he's coming. Oh, that's another balloon. from No, that's not what we're supposed to do, right? That's not what he means by keep watch. Peter, who was one of the four people that went and had this discussion with Jesus, he describes exactly what we're supposed to be doing to keep watch. Peter, in his book, Second Peter, he writes, since everything will be destroyed in this way, and the destruction he's talking about is when Christ returns, this earth, this universe is gone, and we usher into eternity. He says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? He said, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed it's coming. We're supposed to live holy lives like we're not supposed to live like the world because if the Holy Spirit of God is in us, we are different than the world. It's not saying we're better. It's not saying we're worse, but we are different. And he says, we're supposed to live godly lives. We're supposed to live our lives in accordance with the word of God and doing the thing that God has called us to do. And he says, look forward to the day and speed its coming. And it's not like he's, because Jesus makes it clear, no man knows the day or the hour, only God the Father. But the way that we speed its coming is by doing what Jesus said must happen before the end comes. The gospel must be shared to all nations so we, as the people of God, have a primary responsibility to share the gospel, to share and show the love of Christ to folks in our circles of influence. Because if we don't tell them, how are they ever going to know? That is the main thing that we're supposed to do. That is the main responsibility we have as, I keep looking at that clock, as the body of Christ. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to partake of communion because communion is also, uh, it's one of the things that we do, one of the called the sacraments of the church, but it's also a public proclamation that we as the church make about the return of Christ. So I'm going to ask Gary and Kevin, can you guys come up and grab the uh, communion table and bring it over here and also grab the uh, two glasses out of the office? 
while they're doing that, I'm going to read the scripture and pray. Uh, because this is what Paul writes regarding communion to the church. In 1 Corinthians, he writes this. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I'm going to step down, and uh, for those of you who are really kind of weirded out about me touching the food, I'm grabbing the ends. You guys are going to touch the front, and it's a paper towel, so there's that. And he said, when you do this, uh, do this in remembrance of me. So God, we're grateful that you loved us enough to allow your body to be broken, to be bruised, to be buried for us so that we might be able to experience and share your love with others. He goes on and he says this, in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And God, we're so grateful that your blood was shed for us. We're so grateful that the covenant that Israel used to have with you, the Passover, we now have a covenant with you based on your blood shed for us that allows us to be your people, that allows our sins to be removed, that allows us to become a part of your family. And for this, we are grateful and thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. And here's the part that I love. Because he says, Paul says, whenever you eat this bread and whenever you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, but you do it until he comes. Whenever we partake of communion, it is a public proclamation that he died for us, but that he is also going to return for us. So God, we thank you that we can come together and partake of communion. And we pray that those who would come would do so with a willing heart, acknowledging that your blood was spilled for us, that your body was broken for us, acknowledging your love for us. And we thank you and praise this in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Amen. So as you feel led, as the Holy Spirit leads, come forward and partake of communion.